Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. Hello, everyone. I hate that term, accent reduction. Plenty of people use it. A plethora of companies promise it. But it just sounds like hacking away at something awful and terrible that you're trying to rid yourself of. Instead, I'd like to talk about accent comparison. It's totally natural to compare ourselves to a native speaker, but almost all of us sin and fall terribly short of that glory. Yet we diligently practice sound drills, we listen to recordings, but we still get that, huh, quizzical look in conversation. I'll give you the bad news first. My SLA textbook says that there is abundant evidence that individuals generally do not achieve a native-like accent in an L2 unless they are exposed at an early age. Thanks a lot. That's demotivating and discouraging since, well, we're well beyond grade school. What I mean by accent is how you sound overall when speaking the target language. I'm not talking about grammar here or choosing the right vocabulary word. When I say accent, I'm referring to a combination not only of the pronunciation of individual sounds, but where the stress lands on syllables and words, rhythm, if you may, and the lilt of intonation overlying sentences and larger chunks of speech. But here's the good news about accent. What if we quit comparing ourselves to the perfection of a native speaker and set our sails for a far more reasonable goal, a goal of what is called comfortable intelligibility? It's a thing in second language acquisition slash instruction. Doesn't that sound more like it? Would you breathe a sigh of relief? We just want our listeners to understand us comfortably without straining their ears, wincing, or getting lost somewhere before we end our sentence. Abercrombie defines comfortable intelligibility as pronunciation which can be understood with little or no conscious effort on the part of the listener. The late British linguist Vivian Cook is famous for saying this, Most L2 users are immediately identifiable by their foreign accent and also, of course, by their syntax or choice of words. Cook argues that it is not a negative thing for an L2 speaker to be immediately identifiable by their foreign accent. So here's the thing. L2 users should not be held up to the same standards as monolinguals, native speakers. Rather, they should be held to the standard of successful L2 users. Native speakers, we will never be, he says. Are there other L2 speakers, learners like you in your language learning world, whom you would identify as a successful L2 speaker? Successful in terms of carrying out their jobs well, making friends, transacting daily business. I think if, as Cook says, we aim for rather good, we won't end up wallering in the mud of not good enough, not native enough. 
that being said, we don't just give up with a sigh and, and oh well. Can we still have that lofty goal all the while accepting that we'll probably never achieve it? Let's just say that we want to keep moving toward native-like pronunciation, but set our sights on the more reasonable goal of comfortable intelligibility. This episode is not intended as a thorough treatise on acquiring comfortable intelligibility. However, I do want to mention a few things you may not have thought of or considered very important when considering accent. First off, have you ever thought of which native speaker you want to sound like? Take my own accent in English, for example. I can be very self-conscious and embarrassed of my obvious Southern accent. Surely you can hear it in my vows, my husband instead of my husband. Honestly, it was a deal in the decision to start this podcast. It all started in graduate school. I left my old Kentucky home and landed in Texas to start my study program in linguistics. When I opened my mouth that first night in the dorm lounge, somebody jokingly expressed surprise that I was actually wearing shoes. I realized they were joking, but still surprised they had sort of lumped me into some kind of Kentucky Appalachian hick stereotype just because of the way I talk. From then on, I was painfully aware of the way I talk, that it stood out, that it might categorize me in some circles. You should be aware as well. Does your accent in the target language categorize you? The point being that accent and identity are linked. Take the Andalusian variety of Spanish in Spain. All the S sounds are replaced by theta, contrasting with other dialects that distinguish between S and theta. Some research in what is called a matched guise experiment showed that in spontaneous speech, speakers who did make the distinction between theta and S were evaluated as having higher social status, more urban, and more formal than speakers who only used theta, who merged the theta and S into just theta. That merger had social evaluation. So all accents aren't created equal. Who do you want to identify with? If you did want to identify with Andalusian speakers, then by all means, use that theta. Interestingly enough, a friend in Chile throws in that same theta on occasion. His father was from Spain. In Latin America, mind you, Spain Spanish is more prestigious. So theta, in that case, communicated higher status. Interesting, huh? While in language school in Costa Rica, the woman we lived with warned me about not picking up any Spanish whatsoever from the Puerto Ricano lady who ran the corner kiosk. If some speakers have an indigenous or minority language as their first language, they might have marked differences in pronunciation that you would need to be aware of. So a word to the wise, just pay attention to differences in pronunciation among speakers and beware of stigmas and social evaluations that could be attached to those differences. 
Second point, you may be focusing in too much on individual sounds and overlooking what is called the prosodic features of language, like word stress, intonation, and rhythm. I just listened to a TV interview with the gorgeous Colombian actress, Sofia Vargada. You may have seen her on a TV series called Modern Family. Sofia, well, shall we say struggles with English pronunciation. Yes, she could benefit from practicing the contrast of what we call in layman linguistics short vowels versus long vowels, like bit and beat, hit and heat, and the word initial, as in there versus tear. But learning individual phonemes wouldn't eliminate entirely her problems with pronunciation. Spanish has a marching rhythm. English lopes. Take this bit of John Maysfield's famous poem. We must go down to the sea again, to the lonely sea and the sky. Close your eyes and listen to it again for stress on words, rhythm, and overall intonation. We must go down to the sea again, to the lonely sea and the sky. With Spanish prosody, it would sound like we must go down to the sea again to the lonely sea and the sky. Another prosody point. Listen to how questions differ from statements that differ from commands. Or how is sweetness, anger, or sarcasm expressed for a few examples? Compare these for stress, rhythm, and intonation. The woman went to the store. The woman went to the store. Okay, honey, hang on for just a few minutes longer. She is such a nice girl. You have got to be kidding. Yep, prosody does carry meaning. You got to hear this, though. It's a classic used in second language acquisition instruction to demonstrate how intonation carries meaning. There's this YouTube called Talking Twin Babies. These two tots carry on a conversation in the kitchen in their diapers without words, just intonation. You can look it up later. You can almost make up what they're trying to say. This last thing is my favorite thing to talk about on the subject of accent. Filler words. Sounds are words that speakers use in a conversation to signal that they are pausing to think but are not finished speaking. Filler words fill the silence and are in themselves meaningless. Since they are second nature, boy, are they hard to get rid of. Take this sentence with filler words in English. I was interviewing this guy and um, he was like really nervous, um, you know, but um, he was like this um, expert. So, uh, so like, I still wanted him to be like on the podcast. Hear the filler words? Um, uh, you know, like, I bet you never realized that like functions like a filler word. My audio producer once cut out 80 ums from a 20-minute recorded podcast interview. 
carry those ums over to your L2 and they'll send you packing back to that uncomfortable camp. Distracting. It's been hard for me to cut out um out of my Spanish and substitute it for a, a common filler word in that language. So go back to that sentence and hear how it would generally sound. I was interviewing this guy and uh, he was uh, really nervous, but uh, he was a great uh, expert in his field. Uh, I Googled filler words and there's a huge long list on Wikipedia of typical filler words in a slew of languages. What are they in your L2? It's time to close here. I said this episode wouldn't be a treatise on improving pronunciation, but I did want to leave you with a few easy tips for moving closer toward that goal of comfortable intelligibility. Record yourself speaking spontaneously on a topic suitable to your fluency level. Don't read something you wrote. Play it for a native speaker and have them generally repeat it. Compare their recordings. If you're recording into digital flashcards, record sentences instead of single words and always record a native speaker saying it. Practice with this routine. Play native speaker, you repeat, replay native speaker. No matter how many times you do that, you always want to end with the native speaker's voice in your ears. And by the way, episode 20 talks about this fabulous new flashcard system called Word Climber, so go back and check it out. I didn't mean earlier that you shouldn't practice individual sounds if you're still having trouble. But practice where they contrast, if they contrast, in the same position, i.e. after or before a certain consonant or vowel, end of word, beginning of word, middle of word. Because the context, what's around them, before them, after them, can influence and change that individual sound. Remember how you used to fly your hand up and down out an open car window? Use your hand in a similar way to physically imitate the up and down of intonation patterns over longish stretches of speech. When you listen to a YouTube or something you can replay, listen the first time for individual sounds. Did you know you can slow down YouTubes with the gear symbol speed setting in the bottom right-hand corner of the window? Try the 0.7 speed and see if that helps to hear those individual sounds. Listen a second time for the prosodic features, but I wouldn't use that slower setting since that speed difference really influences intonation. Finally, write the word comfortable intelligibility on your forehead. I'm Mary Lynn Kinderberg, and thanks for listening to Language on Purpose. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google, and of course, at languageonpurpose.org. Subscribe, you'll get a notification, and you won't miss an episode. See you next time. Keep at it, guys. <laughs>